With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football is back. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's two up top. That means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So, Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, really good, thanks, Dan. You know, quite a good start to the season for us, so that makes everything better, doesn't it? Um, but it was great just to get the football back, wasn't it? You know, match of the day on Saturday night, missing that theme tune for a long while. So, looking forward to getting this into this one and, and talking all things Premier League um, and football. Fantastic. That also means you're joined by Fulham fan Matthew this week. Matthew, how have you been these past seven days? We might not really have time to talk Championship Corner, but very quickly, a quick reference of your five-star win over Huddersfield. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Good to be back in the the groove of the Championship. And um, as the meme likes to go, HMS Piss the League is in full flow at this moment. I'm glad to hear. So, of course, a big shout-out to Max, who's off doing some scouting work for us. He should be back next week. Before we chat all things Premier League and a little bit more, I best do some social media bits, otherwise we'll be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. Talking of clubs, I'm delighted to announce we're now part of the UK's first ever sports podcast network, that being Sports Social. So check out the URL and all the links posted on Real Football Pod throughout the week to get a bit of that. Also, you can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. 
Also, I need to mention my content partner, that being betting.com. If you want betting previews and all those kind of tips and predictions across the week, get involved there. And the easiest way to find all the links is by going to linktree slash realfootballcast. Put a dot between the R and the E. You get 10 podcast platforms to choose from. It's never been easier to listen to this show. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? I think we need to go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Not solely because of mine and Carl's huge bias to this club, but because the defending champions were beaten on Sunday. And Carl, if we're honest, it's the kind of City performance where they needed someone like Harry Kane. Yeah, it was one of them, wasn't it, Dan? You know, the first 15 minutes of that game um, weren't that encouraging from a Spurs point of view. You know, it took a long while to get sort of going and, and City looked reasonably comfortable for a little while. But just didn't really have the bite up top, did they? The, I think, you know, we've been saying for a long while now, you know, since Aguero and when Aguero was missing for them, they're kind of not the same animal going forward from an attacking point of view or a striker point of view. And they definitely did seem to miss that. And again, I think the game did highlight that I think for City, really, you know, they've got an abundance of midfield talent. They, they look reasonably solid defensively, but they will need that striker, I think, if they're going to kind of try to repeat what they did last season and then obviously look to kind of push on that one more step in the Champions League and bring home the biggest trophy because it is an area where they'll need goals. They will need a focal point. I don't think, you know, as I've said it for many times, I don't think Jesus is the player that's going to kind of be able to fill that role for them permanently. So, yeah, it was it was kind of the right time when it, that, you know, if you put Harry in that side on Saturday, who knows what the result is. Now, Matthew, there's no doubt that they created chances, that being City. Or to be fair, both teams actually created chances. Weren't too... Good in terms of shots on target, but there's plenty of shots to go around. From a City point of view, them lacking something clinical when it really mattered, does that defeat only serve to accelerate the clamour for Tottenham's talisman? It probably does, but I think of it more of the view. I think of it more the view of like, how's Daniel Levy going to look at this? And you think at, when the final whistle went, he must have been rubbing his hands because he knows that he can. You know, there, there's all, there's been all this talk about you know. You know, what's going to happen? You know, I still believe that Daniel Levy is going to hold firm, strong and will not allow any sort of bid. But in this scenario, Daniel Levy would have been rubbing his hands because he could have said, right, that's an extra 10 million on because they've just seen how much they desperately need him. So if, you know, there, there was talk about like a £150 million bid coming in at some point this week, for all we know, no, it may have done by the time we record this and by the time it goes out. But yeah, that, that bid has now probably just been increased to something like 160, 175 million because if ever there was a performance to show, right, we need, you know, we're missing Sergio Aguero, we need that, you know, quote unquote, fox in the box to finish all these chances. Let there be no greater example than that game. Then again, Carl, when it comes to City in general, they looked quite languid at times, didn't they? I mean, countless times in the second half, it was walking football. And that's not even an exaggeration. They were literally walking around, certainly the back four. So what did you make of a lack of, of shall we say, ignition from the Etihad outfit? Yeah, I think that they kind of didn't look fully fully at it at the community shield did they and I, I think you know when you draw a side like that you kind of there is that kind of feeling where you can go oh city first game oh dear what the toughest start you can get we're actually i think as we found out the weekend sometimes you know maybe getting one of those bigger sides can actually work out for you because they haven't had a chance to get into their full stride and, and get their momentum going um and, and it will take a while and especially you know given the summer that everyone's had with the euros and players coming back late so maybe i think it is just going to be a case of them trying to get 
get players back, get themselves into their rhythm, get their momentum going. And, you know, thankfully, you know, I think, you know, if that game is probably, you know, two or three weeks further down the line, um, we probably have a lot more of a difficult game on our hands. But I think that is your typical kind of first game of the season um, after a big summer tournament. Some of those big sides find it a little bit slower to get going. And City just looked like that, didn't they? As I say, it kind of rolled on from the Community Shield game where you thought, oh, if they play like this, I fancy, you know, we got half a chance. And it seemed to kind of stay that way, didn't they? It looked really bright the first 15, as I say. Um, and then it did seem to kind of towel off and, and especially in the second half Now Matthew, one of the brighter lights from a City point of view was Jack Grealish so Pep Guardiola went as far as to say he had an incredible debut I wouldn't go that far but what did you make of his performance at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? It was okay. It was precisely what we expected it to be. You know, there was plenty of, you know, running of players. There was plenty of creativity. He very nearly got a penalty in the first, was it first 10 minutes or something? With well, the first trip three, by, I think, really. First, first, first three, yeah. Um, with the trip on Oliver Skip, he showed that he can be, you know, the threat. He was, you know, not the £100 million man, because that's a bit of a, not really worth £100 million. It, bit of an over-exaggerated fee but whatever they paid for him he you know probably justified it now had there been a better forward in there to you know even though i am even though i am a fan of jesus um and and torres to an extent i am a fan of both of them but if there had been someone like a harry kane to make a better run for him to create something or if you know there was kevin de bruyne in midfield well and truly up for him to you know provide an assist to or you know, De Bruyne to spot a run of Jack Reeves or something. I reckon it probably would have been a little bit better. So, you know, as Castle Tempering, it's a bit hard to sort of fully judge because the Man City team aren't quite there yet. I'm sure give it two or three weeks' time and Grealish, you know, will be, you know, fit and firing and probably scoring, you know, scoring from outside the box, you know, every other every every third week or something like that. I guess, Carl, the main reason why Grealish failed to really deliver was because of Jafet Tenganga. So, although Tottenham's defensive issues won't be sold overnight, you know, it's not oh, amazing, we're fixed, this is it. That performance from Tanganga and even the back four themselves as a quartet is certainly going to give Nuno Espirito Santo some food for thought. Yeah, um, you know, obviously we don't want to get too carried away being just the first game of the season, but they they looked a little bit more solid. You know, I mean, Dyer, you know, Eric Dyer wasn't getting caught out with those balls across him. Davinson Sanchez, I thought, had a really good game and looked really solid, which isn't something we always kind of label him being. Um, Tanganga was brilliant, um, and I think that's put to bed any kind of hope that there might be a loan deal to Galatasaray. Um, you know, that was being touted, wasn't it, before the season started? Um, but I think that performance from him kind of cements his place in that first team squad for the rest of this season. And, you know, based on that performance, if he continues to play like that, then obviously he could become quite a key part of that defence this season because that right side is something we're, we're badly desperate for. So if he can fill that void, then then that's brilliant. And Nuno will be very pleased with that. It was a lot better performance defensively than we've seen last season. But again, I don't, I don't want to go jump in the gun and, as you quite rightly said, you know, start to think that's it. We've solved all the problems. We've got Romero to come in. That'll be huge. We'll then have to decide who he's going to play alongside because he will be the starting centre-back most weeks. Um, but if Dyer and Sanchez can kind of play like that more often, then that is a very big positive and, and Nuno will be very happy with that. So, Matthew, in terms of the way Tottenham took City to task, do you think there's more of a balance that has been struck in terms of 
pragmatism and free-flowing football. It wasn't bus parking for Mourinho. It wasn't gung-ho football for the sake of just going for it on the opening day of the season. So is this what we can expect to see from Tottenham going forward? I think it is because, you know, even though Wolves had a bit of a bad season last year, a lot of that you could put down to the Raul Jimenez thing. I do still think that, you know, Nino Espirito Santo is a good coach and can do very well at Tottenham. I think his, you know, his style of play, which hasn't always been the greatest, but we saw what they can do in the championship when they tore the league apart. When you give him the better players, when you give him the counter-attacking skill of, you know, a Son Jung Min, for instance, or add a Lucas Moura and Harry Kane, when he carries on through the season because he is staying, I will hold, I will take that to my grave. Um, when you give him the better players, I think you will see a much more exciting brand of football and you no know, good combination. Now, as you said, not quite Jurgen Klopp gun ho, not quite park the bus, but a good mix of you know defensive when you have to be, you know, as they showed by how well they they shut Manchester City down, and then the good at, um, you know attacking play with with the counter attack for the Sun goal. So I think it should be you know I, if I were a Tottenham fan, I would be very confident heading into the season. Well, we've said before, me and Carl, that obviously Nuno wasn't top of the list. He was far from top of the list, but he's a manager. You've got to get behind him and. It's very easy to sort of jump on the bandwagon very quickly and go, well, we backed him all the time. That wasn't necessarily the case either, but it's positive. It's a good start. It's so much different than what we had towards the end of last season when we limped towards the end of last season with Mason in charge as well. No disrespect to him, but it was just such a... like We kind of gave up last half dozen games from a Tottenham pod point of view. We just didn't want to talk about the actual football. We just talked about the club. But it's good. It's vibrant. It's back. But there's a lot more to chat about because we need to go somewhere else next. Let's go to Friday Night Football. And I know Matthew would have hated this one, but Cole, Hounslow Town, they're off to a perfect start. They would have been absolutely delighted with their win over Arsenal. Yeah, and they couldn't have hoped for a better game, could they, to be honest, on that first game? You know, you you, you can, I think this was kind of the absolute opposite for what we had, Dan, wasn't it? Spurs at Arsenal, kind of the worst probably game you could look to get, you know, a newly promoted side at home, the first time fans are back, the first time fans have properly been in that stadium. Um, and it's, it probably was just the worst mix of things for Arsenal because, um, you know, they're obviously flaky at times and they showed it again on Friday night, didn't they? You know, the, you know, again, it's just rinse and repeat with Arsenal, isn't it? You know, year in, year out, the same failings the same kind of sloppy and easy goals to give away, just kind of being, you know, out full and out muscled. Um, And again, you know, Brentford fully deserved that win. You know, they were full of it. They were there. They were first to every ball, you know, putting themselves about. And Arsenal just couldn't match them. I mean, yes, Arsenal had the blow, didn't they? You know, losing Aubameyang and Lacazette, that's that's massive for them because they are their main goal threat. But it still just was another poor performance and one that I think if you're an Arsenal fan really gets you worried, especially with the run of fixtures you got. Um, And I think ultimately, you know, you've got to now start looking at whether Arteta is actually a man that can take that club forward or whether, you know, he's going to be, you know, he would be now, I think, probably one of my favourites to be gone before Christmas because with that fixture list that they've got coming, I think it, it could turn very ugly very quickly there at Arsenal. Well, I was going to raise this point, so let's kind of get to this now, because Carl, stay with you. I know Jamie O'Hara should never be considered the football oracle, far from it, <laughs> but he has said that he believes Mikel Arteta will be the first to go this season. Now, it's only game one, of course, and we can't make too many assumptions, but 
It's not the most ludicrous suggestion either, is it? No, definitely not, because th- there's been rumblings from last season there, haven't there? You know, I don't think the fans are that impressed with him right now. I don't think you're seeing enough, you know, obviously when he got the job, uh, I think a bit like us, Dan, you know, I don't think Arsenal fans would have been too unhappy, but they wouldn't have been that excited. Um, but then they were prepared to give him a chance. And obviously every manager does get a fair crack at the whip. For me, I think I've seen enough now that if you're an Arsenal fan, the biggest worry you've got is the same things are happening again, the same failings week in, week out. You're not seeing any progression as a side. And I think there was a stat, wasn't there, that you know when Arsenal have been losing at half-time, they haven't even managed to win a game from that position. You know They've managed to scrape a few draws, but lose most of the time they're behind. So I think that kind of sums up as well that the guy obviously doesn't have that much about him at half-time to kind of rally the troops and get them going. And for me, if I was an Arsenal fan now, I'd just be thinking, all I can see is that this guy's probably going to start taking us backwards rather than forwards. And that, yes, it, it could be time to make a switch. And I'll tell you now, I say, with the run of fixtures they've got coming up next at home, well, that is not an easy game, is it? And again, you get another defeat there, then another defeat after that. And before you know it, the momentum's gone. And I can see the Emirates, you know, I mean, it's never normally loud, but I could certainly see that getting a little bit toxic there quite quickly. Well, Matthew, as Cole mentions, it's Chelsea at home, then Man City away. In theory, logically, it's naught from nine in terms of points. But Arsenal do have a habit of picking up a win when you least expect them to. So can they get anything from these next two matches? I don't I don't think so, especially no. when you can especially when you consider that it's going to be the the, the Romelu Lukaku show as well. Um and we saw you know even though I do think that Ben White is a very is a very good defender and you know is a much yeah, is a much better defender than they've had. You know the the the, the weaklings, shall we say, they've had over the years. The, the like the Koscielny's never really quite convinced me. You know, this, there was always that bit of the soft Arsenal of the you know Arsene Wenger days. Is that sort of thing? I do like Ben White, but I just think you saw how he struggled against Ivan Tony on Friday night. It's going to be a whole different kettle of fish against Robert Lukaku, and it it could very well be. Um, I genuinely would not be surprised if we have a repeat of, you know, when they went to Liverpool and lost 4-0 or when they went to Old Trafford and lost 8-2 or Chelsea and lost 6-0 or any of that. I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if we got to that stage. Blimey, the writing could be on the wall. Matthew, I forgot to ask. Now, I'm more than happy to reference them as Hounslow Town for the duration of the season and beyond, if necessary, if they stay up. Shall we be that petty? I've got no qualms if you haven't. It's totally, it's totally your choice. You can refer to him whatever you want. I'm going to stick to Hounslow Town because that's all they are. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's be petty. We need that kind of pettiness on this podcast. But, Matthew, I'll stay with you with a proper question now because we've spoken in our group chat about Arsenal and their sprint, uh, spending strategy, or lack thereof, shall we say. Aaron Ramsdale, not quite over the line. There's a little bit of to and fro because I think he's now kind of wanting a move rather than it actually happening. But it's edging that way. £30 million for a goalkeeper that played quite a big part in getting Sheffield United relegated last season. Madness, question mark? I don't think it's even a question mark. No, it's it? not. It, it just, I mean, I will admit I have been burned on this before because I remember when Jordan Pickford uh, made the move to Everton after he'd been relegated bottom of the league with Sunderland. I said, there is no way that the goalkeeper who finished bottom of the league should be worth £30 million. And then, of course, he goes and becomes England's first choice number one for 
well, it's been half a decade since then. So I've been burnt on that before. And, you know, Aaron Ramsdale has finished bottom of the league twice. Well, not bottom of the league, but he's been relegated twice in the past two seasons. Oh, yeah. And again, he hasn't really impressed me as a goalkeeper. Like, if there are some players you can, like Alphonse Ariola, and I don't want this to be a biased thing, but you saw what Alphonse Ariola did last year for Fulham. And even though he was at the team at the bottom of the table, you thought, right, there's there's something there. I just don't get that with Aaron Ramsdale. So I don't see what the fuss is. I mean, there are other goalkeepers you could do. If they'd have gone and made the £30 million bid for Dean Henderson, say, I kind of would have understood that because I like, because I do like Dean Henderson. I think he is, I think he is, you know, England's number one in waiting after Jordan Pickford sort of thing. So I could have, I could have understand that. But £30 million for Aaron Ramsdale just doesn't, I mean, it didn't make sense to begin with because I think, as we've said, the defence is not the problem for Arsenal. We're sticking it in at the other end and you know, trying to find a creative midfielder with the likes of Madison and Odegaard and O.R. been linked and what have you. To spend that money on a goalkeeper is is just madness. No question about it. Well, this is it, Carl, because as much has been made about Arsenal and not a very big transfer pot, you can get Odegaard for, say, £50 million, whether that's independent of Ramsdale as well, but then you might be able to get Madison for £70 million. Of course, he would need to want to move and all of that, but surely you be better, better putting your eggs in a creative basket because Bert Leno is not a bad goalkeeper either. So they're kind of looking at the wrong kind of departments, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like as you say, you know, Leno for me is is a reasonably decent goalkeeper, isn't he? You know, and he's proved that over the last couple of seasons. So I don't really understand why Arsenal think, you know, spending that sort of money on a goalkeeper would be a sensible option. I think the game Friday night kind of shown you the areas they're looking for, don't they? They need a real commanding leader at the back. Um, as you say, Dan, a real creative midfielder, a real spark there that can get them going. You know, they've had some great players over the years, the Fabregas's, players like that. They need something like that. But the goalkeeper certainly isn't the position that they need to fill right now. And again, I guess it just kind of shows, doesn't it, that when the club kind of doesn't have a direction or doesn't seem to have a direction and everyone's, you know, with it and yes, this is where we want to go. This is how we want to operate. This is kind of what you get, you know, a little bit all over the shot and, and things start happening. You go, well, what are we doing that for? Um, and I think that is probably the biggest worry um, that Arsenal fans have right now is, you know, the club just doesn't seem that it's got a direction where it wants to go. Now, Matthew, if you can take your bias away from that result on Friday, what do you make of Hounslow Town and their chances of staying up? Are they going to be a welcome addition in general to the Premier League? Yeah, taking taking all biases aside, I do think they will be not not a welcome addition. I won't go that far, <laughs> but they but they won't they won't be they won't be a derby, you know, circa two thousand eight. But at the same time, they won't be a, a Sheffield United, you know, two thousand nineteen or or. 2020 or at least 2021 they won't be that good they'll be somewhere in the middle i can see them getting around you know i don't think that's that style of play will last against every single team they'll give it a good go if i i won't be surprised if that i won't be surprised if they stay up and in all fairness in all fairness to them there are some elements of the club that you know are run pretty well, so they would deserve it if they if they stayed up. Not that I'm not that I'm hoping they do, but yes, they will give it a they will give it a good go. If you want to make if you want to make a good comparison, think Blackpool when they stayed up, or when they when they uh, 
came up and then went down and took it to the last day of the season. Everyone thought, oh, exciting football, brilliant. Had some flaws, but at the end of the day, they came up, they went down, probably punching above their weight anyway. So, But if they stay up, you know, all credit to them, they probably would will deserve it. Well, if they do stay up and it all goes well for you at the Cottage, you might get a tasty West London derby in the Premier League next season. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. There's a lot of football still to be played. And there was a lot of football to be played on Saturday. It started at Old Trafford and Cole, the Red Devils, were red hot. They put five past Leeds. Quite an exciting performance, a good game. And you'd have to say that Ollie's men had quite a swagger about them. Yeah, I think, you know, United finished the season reasonably well last year, didn't they? Um, you know, Fernandez has been, you know, sensational since he's come in, what he's contributed to that side. Um, you know, you've had some good additions there, although obviously, you know, didn't really see the main two um, play. You've got Greenwood, who is, you know, just each and every game you see him play, just looks more and more exciting. So they've they've got the foundations of a really good squad and a side that could go on and really put a challenge together this season if everything works out. Um, I guess, you know, you've got the, the myth that could be Pogba. You know, this was one of the games where he was on fire and, and look, the sort of Paul Pogba you've seen for France during World Cups and that. And that's vital. You know, if he plays like that every week, then United have got a real chance. But as we know, sometimes, you know, that, that's not the Pogba that will show up week in, week out. I just thought it was a really good start for them, a great win at home in front of the fans. And that's the sort of way you want to get the season off and running. And, and that will give them a lot of encouragement. And I, you know, for me, I don't think they've got enough about them to be able to win the title this season. But I tell you now, if you, if you're finishing above them, then you've got a good chance that you will be the title winners. So Matthew, in terms of Leeds, I remember they went to Old Trafford last season and got absolutely smashed then. So at that time, Everyone was lauding them for losing in the right way, in inverted commas. So it does seem that they've learned nothing from last season's thrashing. Well, no, but then again, do you really expect them to have learned anything from last season? Because this is what Marcelo Bielsa's team is. True, true, yeah. He's not, he's, you know, he said last year he's not going to change his system. You know, no one's, they're not going to change their system. I think it is a case of, I can't someone on Twitter did a, did a brilliant last year. It wasn't a main account, it was just some fan pointed out brilliantly. But Leeds United are going to be in a, they're going to be this, you know, they did well last season, they will be this season. They will go to they will go to the big teams. They will play this way. They'll get beaten occasionally. They'll get some entertaining games. Like you can't say you weren't entertained from that game on Saturday. Oh, no, it was no. brilliant. Um, they'll get some entertaining games. They'll get thumped occasionally. They'll beat the teams they expect to, and then they'll probably end up about mid table, which again is fine for what you know. It's fine. it's Leeds United in mid table, considering where they've been the past fifteen years. It's fine. It's it's what it's what they should be. If they want to, if they want to, you know, push higher up the table and be one of those teams challenging for Europe on a consistent basis, I think there will need to be some changes. But again, Leeds United, for, you know, if all it is is just a, a, a much better version, shall we say, of Newcastle United and Crystal Palace, just sitting in the Premier League, not not doing, not achieving anything. Then by all means, then by all means, fair play, fair play to them, and then they may need to look at, you know, once they've established themselves, then they might need to uh, make a couple of changes, be it in personnel, on the pitch or or in the dugout. But for now, let them let them do it. I, I say fair play to them. Well, Carl, they've been quite quiet in the transfer market, Leeds, haven't they? Whether this is, I don't know, I won't go as far as second season syndrome, but Bielsa's teams are also known for being running to the ground, so to speak, and you do wonder how much. Well, that tank has been 
refilled over the course of the summer. Are they already, well, they're not probably looking leggy already, but can they go again as the same squad across 38 games? Or will they need to find some bodies before the end of August? Yeah, this is a tough one, isn't it? Because you say, Dan, you know, Bielsa does like to work his squad hard. And if you don't kind of, you know, freshen that up, maybe, then you do run into those situations where sometimes if you keep the same squad and the same same sort of training regime and methods, I think there were rumours that came out around Poch's time when he left, wasn't there, that the players had got a little bit bored of the, the kind of training because it seemed to be reasonably slim, similar all the time. And I suppose... That is a worry for Leeds. You know, if they've not freshened up the squad enough, could it just start to becoming a little bit stale? Could Bielsa's methods potentially just start to be wearing off a little bit? And I think it all does come down to the fact of, you know, the way you can start, can't you? You know, when we look at Sheffield United, when you consider the first season they had last year, you then look at the way things started going downhill for them pretty quickly in the second season. That is, if your lead is something that you'll be really conscious of right now, making sure that, listen, OK, we lost that one at Old Trafford. That won't define their season. You know, those results against the top four necessarily won't be what causes them to have a bad season. But they need to make sure that, you know, the next game, you know, their first home game, they get a good result there. They get a positive result against the teams around them because, you know, uh, you know, go on a run now, say two or three more defeats and there will be the sort of panic start to set in and people think, well, here we go. Second season syndrome. Look at just what happened to Sheffield United after that great first season. Could this be about to happen to us? Um, and then you you put that all with players that could get leggy quite quickly, then, yeah, you do have to think that, you know, it's on a fine knife edge for Leeds, isn't it? If it goes, if it works well, they could have a really another good season. But if momentum goes against them, they could be down there in a bit of a dogfight. And I think at that point, you know, a manager running you into the ground suddenly becomes a bit of a problem. Well, Matthew, Paul Pogba had him on strings on Saturday lunchtime. And with Pogba, there's always talk of a move to Real Madrid or PSG. And the more this goes on, you know, this has been going on for seasons now, hasn't it? And the more it goes on, the less Pogba's value is, to the point where it could be zero come the summer. So if he does go on a free, does that constitute bad business as a whole for Manchester United? Or let's say he delivers something at the end of the season. I don't know what. A Europa League, perhaps. Maybe even a Champions League. I wouldn't go as far as the Premier League. Some form of trophy... Would that pay some of it back or is it going to be more bust than boom in terms of Pogba's purchase? I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's going to have to depend on what on what they deliver this this season because, I mean, he's done, I mean, what was it? Was it the League Cup and the Europa League double in his first season? I think it was, yes. it was around, it was around yes. that time, yeah. For Manchester United's standards, shall we say, that's not quite. That's not quite it. Um, you you would expect them to be challenging for FA Cups, Champions League, Premier Leagues. So I think if they win, if I don't even think as much as I don't want to. I don't want to disparage the cup. I think in this scenario, if it were to win the the FA Cup, I don't think that's enough. I think it would have to be the Premier League or the Champions League in order to, in order to say it was worth it. Now I know there'll always be the thing like oh. The 90 million transfer fee, you know, plus the wages. Oh, they've made that money back in terms of the advertising revenue that they would have got from him and the shirt sales and all that sort of stuff. I get that. But in terms of what he's done on the pitch, 
I think it probably will have to come down to this. If this if, if this is indeed the final season, for we know there could again there could be contract negotiations. I think there is going on. He could sign at some point during the season. But if this is to be the last season, I think he does need to go out on on one of those trophies. Be it the Europe, uh, be it the Champions League or the Premier League, just to say, just to say, he he was worth it, and he has, and I think he also has to be an important part of it, as well. I don't want, you know, this this game was brilliant, but I don't want him to only then get three assists and two goals from now until the end of the season. He has to be a main part of it, rather than you know riding on the coattails of Cavani and Fernandez and you know. Rashford and all that lot. So I think he has to he has to be a main part of it as well, not just winning it. Yeah, it's a very fair point. There's always been an element of square peg and round hole with Pogba. They've tried many positions and they kind of not quite built a team around him, but they've never quite got that eighty nine million pounds worth of expenditure out of him. So it's gonna be very interesting to see what he does this season. As you say, Matthew, you're not just gonna be a part of the squad, but he needs to be a real driving force in any success that United may have. But Cole Yesterday, in our Spurs podcast, we were talking about throwback eras, and there was a bit of one at Old Trafford on Saturday before kickoff because you don't usually see a player being unveiled as a new signing minutes before the game. You used to. I remember Brian Robson signing a contract on the touchline at Old Trafford, but you don't really see that thing anymore, do you? No, it, it was great, wasn't it? You know, as you say, a lot of the time, you know, it's all done via social media and everything nowadays. And, and come the day where it's actually the first game of the season, the player's been there enough, he's been revealed and everyone just moves on. So it was quite a throwback to kind of see something like that and, uh, you know, holding the shirt up actually on the pitch. And it was great stuff, to be honest. You know, sometimes those sorts of things just going back to how it used to be done are not always a bad way of doing things. I mean, it wasn't a touch on the PS, PSG unveiling, which I'm sure we might come to later on because that was something a little bit special. But yeah, it, it was certainly unique in a day of social media, that's for sure. Well, Matthew, a sound that you can now hear again is the full roar of a Premier League crowd. Yeah, it is. And I've sort of experienced this on a sort of progressive scale because um, as part of my work, I covered a lot of games uh, last season in League, in, League, in League One and League Two. And again... You, to some to some extent, I did enjoy it. You know, from the press box, being able to hear all the noise that was going on, being shouted, and some of the some of the stuff that is said on the touchline um, towards referees is is not worth repeating, but it is just genuinely fascinating to hear. And then um, I was at the Fulham game, last game of the season, where there was only like four thousand. You know, it's not quite the same. And then I was at a preseason game. It's it's building up. It's not quite there. But now that we're finally getting to, you know, full crowds again, it was fantastic. And I do think that, you know, you mentioned 70,000 Old Trafford. There is part of me that thinks there is like a conspiracy or, you know, part of it. I do think the Premier League did play a little bit of part of that to say, right, first game of the season, you know, not, well, there's the, there was the outside town stuff before, but first, you know, Saturday, Saturday of the season, 12.45, let's get the season off to a right bang. Man United versus Leeds. Now, if anyone knows their football history, knows that that is a proper rivalry game. Um, so for that to be the first one, you know, that was, you know, available to more or less the whole world global audience, you know, Asia and, um, you know, to the east and to the west, I think it was just fantastic to hear to, to hear the noise again. Um, again, I don't want to buy into this whole football without fans is nothing. I, I think that does go a bit too far. But there is certainly something a lot different and a lot more special when when there when there are fans. Well, it was just so much easier to watch. I mean, I know we spoke last season about football being just on all the time, and in theory, we well we love football. There's no doubt about that. But 
if someone said to you, you can watch every Premier League game in a season, you'd think, yeah, brilliant. But when you actually start watching it, you think, oh, actually, do you know what? It's not quite as brilliant as I think. But just that kind of extra element of fans getting right behind it and thrusting the players on to sort of go further and further, just such a... It's a, a small difference, but a huge difference, and I'm so glad it is back. But also, Carl, in terms of difference, VAR. Now, it is only week one. You can't be too quick to praise him and say, again, it's fixed, it's wonderful. But it's looking better, and I think that can only be a good thing, can't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, as you say, this weekend, um, it, it seemed to be put into practice a little bit better. We've seen some goals that wouldn't have been given last season, given, um, you know, and, and someone not being offside by their big toe or, you know, shoe size being slightly bigger. And that was what we all wanted to see. So really encouraging. I think the one thing that only, you know, is the slight concern is that over a number of years, we've seen some new rule changes brought in, haven't we? Or with the way something's going to be implemented and you kind of see it done really well for the first few weeks. And then all of a sudden things start to slowly just filter back into the way they used to be done. Um, we just need to make sure that doesn't happen with VAR because from what we've seen from the Euros and then how it's started off this season, you kind of go, yeah, if it stays like this, then I think people will be happy. But that may just be because we haven't seen a controversial decision yet. You know, once the first one comes along, then who knows? I'm sure VAR will be back in the headlines before too long. Well, Matthew, what was your VAR assessment of week one? We talked about benefit of the doubt. It's looking certainly better, I think. Oh, I can't remember the example now. It's gone, but that's not good podcasting. But yeah, it's just good to see that goals aren't being scrubbed off what they might have been scrubbed off last season. So again, is it just referees thinking, oh, actually, we're in the spotlight. We better do it right this week. And then standards might just slip back to normal. Or are we hoping this is the new era for technology? I think most fans will be hoping that it is the start of the new era. I think I made the point pretty clear last season that, you know, I'm the fan of VAR. You know, the whole, you know, it's a millimetre offside the fact of the matter is he's still offside. Offside is offside, whether he's a millimetre or a yard offside. So, no, I was quite willing and, you know, reasonable and acceptable. It was, you know, 98% of other football fans couldn't quite deal with it. But, yeah, if it means that there's less anger in the game about VAR and, uh, you know, there were, there were no match of the day talking points about VAR and saying, oh, if that's the trade-off, then fine, let's, let's just go with it. I'm still not quite, because, again... We we are just being led to assume that it is all correct at this point because they're not showing the lines and and everything. So we are just led to believe that everything is right. So let's just hope that it is um, that it isn't a you know, just a one week thing and everyone is all happy with VAR again because I I do I do quite like VAR and the fact that the you know the emotions were so changed from you know the 2018 World Cup when everyone seemed to love it and then it came into the Premier League everyone hated it once we're back on the same ground again then I think everything will be okay yeah I've got a good feeling about VAR I'll probably eat my words in a few weeks but it looks better I think Euros showed how it should be done again you know we've seen two major tournaments where it works and you think actually I like it and we've always kind of liked it it's just our referees are quite inept so hopefully this is the learning curve which they've all finally gone through and we should be spending less time talking about VAR on this show. But you mentioned match of the day, Carl. Have you noticed that second half, it has massive font? Like, is that really necessary from one half to another? I've just noticed that the graphics have gone mad this season. It's like, whoa, whoa, hang on. Like, just a smoother transition would be quite nice. I think, I think whoever's doing the graphics has probably just been briefed, I know, let's make this bigger and bolder than before. Not quite necessary, is it? <laughs> 
Not, not always. No, they say yeah, uh, and also you know anyone who caught match of the day, I, I'm not really sure what that whole intro oh. around Citizen Kane and everything was all about. You know, I, I'm not too sure that someone made that and thought, yeah, this is really good because it, it was actually pretty poor. Um, but it was great to have it back. You know, when that music kicks off, you know you're in for a great you know hour or so. Um, and obviously with all the football that had taken part this weekend, you know I'm sure everyone probably watched every minute of it. Some Sometimes you just tune in, watch your bit and turn off. But it was great to see the football, great to see the guys back, great to get that Saturday nights back where they should be. Um, and probably everyone's happy, apart from my missus about that, because she just, you know, she knows that's it. I'm off to bed and see you later. <laughs> see, you, see you Sunday. <laughs> uh, but no, it was great. But like you say, yeah, don't change it because it, it wasn't broken. So don't try to go too mad. Matthew, EFL on Quest, do you watch that? Do you think it's the, the right balance of highlights on that channel? Because... The Football League is very hard to do because you've got so many matches across three divisions in one night. Do you think they strike the balance correctly between sort of chat, goals, highlights, etc.? What do you make of their content? I, th- I think I think they do. I think they do a very good job. As you said, it's hard because you've got to fix what is it, ninety-two? So is it forty odd games? Well, take, take out the Premierships. That's thirty-six matches. Oh yeah, of course, right? Yeah, thirty-six. Yeah. 40 yeah. odd I was only four off yeah. um yeah they've got to fit they've got to fit in 36 you know bunch of highlights and in, in into what you know only a couple of hours so yeah they do a good job they you know, they you know they've only got they only get to focus on one or two like main games and then the rest of you just see the main highlights it's okay for for what it is and you know they are always going to be up against it and they're not exactly the you know the established household brand that is match of the day um, so yeah, it, it, they're okay. They're okay for they're okay for what they are, and I think Colin Murray does an excellent job. And you know Michelle Owen when he, she filled in for him last season, I think I think did an excellent job as well. I think they do have some very good uh, presenters and the pundits on there as well that they bring in that they cycle through. I think are pretty good as well. I'd have to agree. Right for the last portion of the show, let's do a whistle stop tour of the rest of the Premier League action from the weekend. So let's go to the other title challengers, or at least the hopeful title challengers. And I guess it was rather routine performances for both of these two. Cole, I'm going to take you to West London, the Blue Park, because their win over Crystal Palace, on the evidence of what I saw, they never really broke a sweat against the Eagles, did they? No, they, you say they never really got out of first gear, did they? They were never put under too much pressure, to be honest. And ideally, that was the dream kind of start to a season, wasn't it, at home? Um, I guess if you're a Palace fan... Again, you're not going to base your season around what you do against those those big sides in the top four. So for Palace was probably, you know, you can consider that maybe a slight free hit um, because their season will hinge on their performances against other sides. But you'd probably be slightly disappointed with the way they played. Um, but for Chelsea, just an encouraging home game, an encouraging win, some good performances. And of course, that is all without... Lukaku to come into that side so you've got to feel very confident if you're a Chelsea fan that you're going to be up there challenging this season Well Matthew what did you make of Liverpool registering a 3-0 win at Carrow Road do you learn anything from that except from I guess Norwich might struggle Liverpool might win the title I think you summed up perfectly I think you know similar as um, similar to what Carl said about Chelsea I don't think you can really ask for a better opening day um, of the season game for for Liverpool, and because Norwich would never again, Norwich I think will do better than what they did last time in the Premier League. But in terms of like a big threat, 
for, for, for the likes of Virgil van Dijk and Joel Matip, everyone, to get back up to proper match fitness against the Norwich side that were never going to cause you many too too many problems, I think was you know was fantastic for them. And then again, the the front three as well, you know, well front four because it's Mane, Salah, Firmino, and and uh, Diego Jota. Now I think that's a pretty good, not a warm up because that's a bit too disrespectful for Norwich, but a decent you know easing into the season for them. Again, they couldn't have asked for a better one. Matthew, I'll stay with you then, because Daniel Farker, in charge of Norwich, he's been part of the yo-yo of the Carrow Road movement the last couple of seasons, taking them down, taking them back up. Can he afford to take them back down again, or will the Norwich board get a bit jittery if there's another relegation battle on the horizon? I don't think so, because I think they've shown what the sort of ambitions are of the, of the you know, I think they're they're accepting of it. Again, it's not a Farker problem, it's a, it's a ball problem. Like, you know, they sold Emi Buendia, who was... One of the best players in the championship. He may have no, it was Ivan Tony, uh, but one of the best players in the championship last season. Um, they sold him to Aston Villa for thirty-five million. So I don't. I think that shows that their ambition this season is probably not to stay in the Premier League. It's probably to generate money. You know, there's the yo-yo, right? Take the uh, Premier League money and you know we'll use that to build a squad in the championship to you know, to then set in the Premier League. They're probably. That move just tells you they're probably going for it again. So not this time in the Premier League, we're going to stay up. We're going to take the money again. And then next time we're in the Premier League. So I don't think Daniel Fark is under too much pressure because, I, as I said, I think Delia Smith's told you that you know, the aim is not to stay in the Premier League. Otherwise, you don't sell your main play. You, you don't sell your, your, main, your main goal and assist threat from the Premier League in order to do that. It will certainly be interesting to see what you can do this season. I, I guess last time they were in the division, there's questions about the quality of Norwich squad and is that a real acid test of Farker's managerial now? Obviously then getting the team back up at the first time of asking, you think, well, there is something about him. So it'd be interesting to see with, in theory, a slightly better squad this time, what actually Norwich can do. But if they're going to struggle, Cole, Newcastle might also. They started well against West Ham, but they didn't really turn up in the second half. And you think on that basis of those 45 minutes after the interval, it's going to be a long old season for the Magpies, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. You know, again, again, I think it's another season for Newcastle, isn't it? Where they've probably gone in without that much excitement because you know there hasn't been a lot of transfer activity. You know, I think is it Willock was the is the signing they've brought in permanently, so you know, that's a good signing. Um, but again, another season where you're probably going in thinking they're well undercooked um, to try and even sort of you know try to push for say top half of the table. Um, you just sort of wonder where they're going now, don't you? Because it's just kind of stagnating. They're not bringing players in they need to. Um, up top, you know, they've got a great striker there, I think, in Callum Wilson, who will always score goals. It's just whether they can supply him enough, you know, to kind of score the goals to get him there. I just don't think they've got enough about them in a midfield capability. And certainly defensively, they look questionable. And that doesn't kind of give you good vibes and good feelings for the season ahead. Um, you know, West Ham played well the second half and kind of put them to the sword. But the way they started, they would have been hoping to kind of see that game out and push on. And it just never happened. So, yeah, slightly worried for Newcastle this season. Well, I'll stay with you then, Carl, because I think... Newcastle have obviously been scuppered by this arbitration which has been delayed in terms of the Premier League and the takeover because it, that's not going to get done till I think, February. So you've got this window, you've got January window. Mike Ashley's not one for putting money in his pockets anyway. If he's now sort of thinking, well, do I have to spend money? I don't really want to spend money. But at the same time, 
do I have to keep this club up? Because if I don't, then that takeover goes completely in the water. So what does he do? Yeah, this is a tough one, isn't it? Because like as you said, Dan, is he, does he really want to now start pumping money into the club and start you know making some signings? I'm not so sure. I, you know, I, there's not. I mean, there's not even rumours of them going no. for players that you kind of think, oh well, you know, there this is in the pipeline or this could be in the pipeline for them. There's just nothing. You know, it's just, just no news at all, and that's kind of really worrying from their point of view. Um, I don't see them bringing in anybody. Um, this window or even in January that I think is going to make a massive difference and change their season around. And that's why, like I say, you know, I'm slightly concerned for them. Um, They are a massive club um, and someone hopefully will get them back where, where they should be at some point. But right now that start and the way things are looking, if you're a Newcastle fan, I think you kind of just be slightly worried and concerned about where things are going to go. And you just got to hope that Steve Bruce can kind of pick things up like they did towards the end of last season and, and get them to find their feet and start getting the wins on the ball to keep them safe until at least that takeover is done. And then you kind of hope that those new owners come in and hopefully have plans to try and get Newcastle back to where they should be. Well, me living up here, the mood is one of fear, apprehension, disinterest. I mean, even Joe Willett coming back, everyone's kind of like, well, can he do that second time around? Probably not. You know, he had a great period after that loan move, but you're asking a hell of a lot from him to do it again over the course of a whole season. And you're sort of thinking, if that's the only new addition, which isn't really a new addition, what have they really got? So, you know, Steve Bruce could still do a good job, even if that good job is 17th, you know, it's still success. And if that keeps the takeover alive, they might take that. But it's going to be a real slog of a season for the Magpies. Matthew, Rafa Benitez, he's always going to find it difficult to get the whole Everton fan base on board after his appointment. However, a win over Southampton is at least going things the right way. Yeah, it, 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 it makes me hard to think, but I do I do get the sense that as soon as things start to turn sour at Everton, that mm. you know, because of the connection with Liverpool the things are going to turn on him a lot more quicker than they would have, you know, any other manager. So I don't want it to be as doomed, but I think this does like delay the inevitable because there will be a downturn. Oh yeah. Yeah. There will be a downturn at some point. I don't think we want the negativity to be there just because he managed Liverpool. I think, you know, you have to really deserve what it is rather than just managing Liverpool. So, you know, a good start, um, as I'd say with the win, with the win over Southampton, but, it is. It is all sort of tempered right. How long can these happy feelings continue? Because you know what is round the corner. Since you know, even if it's just two bad results start turning up, then you know that the Everton fans are going to turn on him, and we re- and we really don't want that. No, we don't. But uh, Goodison Park fall to the rafters, and if things get ugly, they will get ugly. But you know, we have to wait and see how that pans out. Because Everton always have a habit of threatening to do well, but they still don't break that glass ceiling, do they? Now, Carl Watford, they got the better of Aston Villa which was arguably the biggest surprise of the weekend. For me, the biggest surprise was, I have no idea who the Watford manager is. Do you? <laughs> yeah. This is one of them, <laughs> like, on, on a FIFA or something, you get just a generic picture of a manager. <laughs> on, don't you? You're like, who, who is this guy? You know, where was this bloke come from? Um, yeah, mate, you know, and I guess, you know, we all know what Watford are like with their managers. So, you know, I wouldn't get too comfortable or, you know, don't get his name put on the back of a shirt if you're a Watford fan because you could be trading that in reasonably soon. But it was a good start for them, wasn't it? You know, Villa have done some good business this summer. 
I think the interesting thing with Villa is to see what that impact of losing Grealish is going to have on them. I think it's going to be bigger than people think it could be. Um, but a great start for Watford, you know, fans back in the ground, Premier League again, you know, they are one of the sort of yo-yo clubs that do keep coming back up and dropping again. Just got to hope that they've got themselves settled this time and they kind of stick with a plan and go with it. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised if results turn. Watford will be one of the ones that change manager and go in a different direction again pretty quickly. But good start. Um, they have got some great, they have got some exciting players there. You know, if Saar can just find his feet again in this league, he'll get them goals and he's exciting. Um Good result against a side that they probably were going in thinking, oh, the business they've done, this will be a hard game. Probably disappointing for Villa. You'd probably be a little bit disappointed with that, um, given, I say, the business. But I think Villa probably be OK once all those players find their feet. Yeah, they've got enough quality. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a bit of a drop-off, but they've bought well, in theory. Leon Bailey, Buendia, Danny Ings... There's going to be goals there and chances being made, so they should be all right. But for Watford, I think the under-over on a new manager is usually November, isn't it? So come back November and we'll see who's still in charge. But Matthew, the evergreen Jamie Vardy was the difference for Leicester against Wolves on Saturday. How important is game management going to be for him if, and this might be a big if, if Leicester are to finally break the top four again? I, th- I think I think it's going to be huge, and I think that's always been the the problem with Leicester is that they haven't had that man behind Jamie Vardy to sort of take the load off him, and they've been over reliant. We had the you know, the emergence of Kalechi and Acho towards the end of last season, but now they made some some pretty some pretty decent signings, you know, in the in the summer window. So you would hope that you know when the you know when the League Cup game comes around, or when the FA Cup game comes around, or say they qualify with ease through the Europa League. Uh, group stage with two games to go, and they need to rest Vardy. You know they can, they can, they can put, they can put the players in. So, yeah, as as much as we say that he has, he is evergreen. He's not going to be evergreen forever. So he will need that rest. At, he will need that rest at some point, um, and hopefully he'll be able to get it this season. Because after two seasons on the trot of falling. Um, late in the season, you do have to wonder if they make it a third without making it into the Champions League, then maybe questions have to, you know, have to be asked to Brendan Rodgers. Even though he has done a very good job in taking them this far, but after coming short two seasons in a row, you have to wonder is he the man to take us over the top? Carl, do you reckon this could be Jamie Vardy's last real substantial season as a Leicester forward? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because you kind of start thinking he's ebbing away, but he's still got that pace about him. He's still got that hunger. Um, naturally, as as each year goes, you know, his main, you know, ability there and he, how quick he is and that is obviously going to fade. I would say he's probably got another couple of seasons at Leicester because he's going to be one of those players they won't get rid of quickly. You know, he could see the rest of his career out there now and it might be that he goes from being the main striker just to suddenly, you know, going down the pecking order slightly as the years go on. But I reckon he's probably got another two seasons. I mean, he should have had more than one at the weekend, but the first goal was typical Vardy, wasn't it? You know, made the run, nipped in just before the defender um, and, and he's made a career out of that and done really well and yeah, I, I would have liked to have had him a couple of seasons ago, but I think he still will do a job and he'll still put himself up there in the goal scoring charts. Um, but this might be his last, if you like, main season as their top man. I think Leicester at some point will need to start thinking about, you know, who's going to be the heir to the throne there. 
Well, they've got Pats and Dakar. If he can sort of bed in this season, that might mean the Matt who takes over Vardy's mantle at 23 million. You probably think so. But Matthew, there's also been business at the back of the pitch for Leicester. Yannick Vestergaard, 15 million from Southampton. What do you make of that one? I think I think it was more on a Southampton. So I mean, you know, credit to Leicester. You know, the the injury situation they're going through with like Johnny Evans and Fafana, you know, still and uh, Thomas Castagna exactly. Um, not 100% fit at the moment, so they need to bulk up. Much in the same way, you know, Jamie Vardy needs rest. The other players are going to need rest, so good on them. I see this more from Southampton standpoint. What the hell are they doing? They're selling, I mean, admittedly, Adam Armstrong is a fine player, but selling Danny Ings and Yannick Vestergaard, I know there's talk about James Ward-Prowse as well. If he goes, then my word, it is. it, it does seem like, you know, rats uh, fleeing a sinking ship, because they are, because... What on earth is going to Southampton if they're selling all these key players this summer? So Vestergaard was a properly weird one in my eyes, the fact that they wouldn't let him go. Unless they've got some, you know, the next Virgil van Dijk coming through um, at some point, they've got scouted up. It really does seem like a weird one. Well, there's always talk of money issues at Southampton. Not really the walls at the door in terms of, you know, foreclosure and that kind of stuff. But there's always a little bit of a murmur about a lack of funds. But as you say, Matthew, it stinks of desperation, if nothing else, that the two of their main assets, arguably their biggest assets, are gone. So it might be a difficult season for the Saints. But, Cole, along the south coast, Brighton come from a goal down to get the better of Burnley. Players have to score the goals, but credit must go to Graham Potter for making those substitutions in the first place. Yeah, they they you know weren't the usual Brighton we we come to know and, and kind of like at the end of last season. You know they were a little bit slow out the blocks there this weekend, um, and Burnley took took full advantage. But as you say, things changed. They got in at half time. Mr. Potter must have said something pretty impressive because they came out, they play much better. And I think in the end, they kind of really deserve to take the points there um, and a couple of good goals to go with it as well. Um, obviously, question marks around the first goal for well, Burnley. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as the defender said, you know, the player's going to just try to stand there to block me off. You know, what, what am I meant to do? You know, I do have the right to have a run on someone and he was just going to try and stand there to block me. And unfortunately, he just wasn't strong enough. But a good win, I think, you know, a good away win because Burnley's not an easy place to go. Um, so Brighton will feel very pleased with that performance. And hopefully, you know, that second half performance, if they can continue playing like that, they'll have another good season, I think. Right, let's go across the English Channel and Project 114, as we dubbed it last week, because we were speaking about PSG, weren't we? After that, Matthew has been bold enough to put his money where his mouth is and has gone for the PSG 38 wins in a season bet. Matthew, can you please tell us the odds on this one? I know this was staggering. I only said it as like a passing comment last week because I thought, right, I know that going third, you know, winning all games in the season is hard. I mean, the Invincibles, you know, drew 12 games mm. in their season. But I just thought if ever there was going to be a time, when you look at the team the PSG have, you know, they usually dominate the French League. Plus they've added, you know, Donnarumma, great goalkeeper, Ramos, Messi, the lot. If ever there was going to be a chance this surely has to be it. So um, I I met, I saw snuck away from the uh, from the show last week whilst we were actually doing the recording. I was on to all the bookies just to say, what are the odds on PSG winning all 38 games? And the best odds that I can come back with were 500 to one. Yes. So I 
put down. Again, I don't think it's going to happen. It was a stupid thing for me to even suggest, but I thought if ever it's going to happen, I'm not missing out on this. So I stuck 20 quid on it, which means if it all comes through, if Project 118 comes through, or Project 38.0, whichever way you want to put it, £10,000. Wow! Yes! Come on! <laughs> Matthew, that's the, that's the wedding paid for, Matthew. <laughs> it's it's the it's the wedding night. It's the wedding and the honey. I can pay for three weddings at that cost. <laughs> oh my word! I didn't know it was that much. Jesus. Well, we're literally keeping everything crossed. All of us on this show. I really hope that gets over the line. I think we're all going to be supporting PSG for that reason alone, not because Poch is a manager or anything like that. We just want Matthew to be absolutely rich. So PSG, you know what to do. <laughs> Carl, you mentioned uh, Messi's unveiling. A quick note on that. Yeah, it was it was pretty impressive, I guess, wasn't it? You know, I mean, a lot of hype there. And as you know, Matthews just said, it wasn't just him. You know, you got Donnarumma, you got Ramos. Um, in what what a way to unveil those players. You know, full on packed house. Um, each player walks out, and the crowd were fantastic. You know, it was something to see and watch. You know, and there is a there is the full ten minute clip of that going around, and I suggest you know just just having a watch because it was impressive. Um, and I'm like as we said last week, you know, people will kind of look at the money involved and go, this is madness. But if you're PSG, you are going to be making that money and more. Um, and they've probably done that or close to doing that already because the interest he's just made across the world and the way that they'll get shirts and every shirt sales, the lot, um, it was pretty special. Yeah, it certainly was. And we'll certainly be keeping an eye on PSG results across the end of the season. However, we've hit full time for this one. So I just need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two Pod Squad members. Matthew, thank you for your time this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Always a pleasure. And viva PSG. <laughs> viva PSG indeed. And Carl, thanks for wearing the captain's armband this week. A pleasure to chat as always. Yeah, pleasure with you guys. And I think, you know, Matthew, Matthew's missus, I hope she's aware of this bet. Absolutely. Right. Cheers, guys. And also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast, and until next time, goodbye. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.